So uh, welcome to the Cloud Native Show presented by Rackner. Uh, my name is Alex Roll, and I'm here with Philip Miller, who's the uh, head of infrastructure and CISO at Brooks Brothers. How's it going, Philip? Alex, it's a fabulous day up here in the Northeast. How about for you? It's a little rainy here in DC, but uh, hopefully, hopefully we get some of your weather because it's been raining all weekend. Um, hopefully it gets a little better. Yeah, those clouds are really hurting us with all this rain. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a little miserable, but you know, I I believe they'll get a little better and can get outside a little bit. Well, thank you for uh, hopping on with me. I'm super excited to talk about some of the stuff you guys are up to at Brooks Brothers. Um, so just to start out, and you know, this is probably not applicable to that many people because this is Brooks Brothers is very much a, a household name. But what does Brooks Brothers do? What is what is your organization in the business of doing? So mostly we're what we call a specialty apparel business. And we uh, most famous, of course, for our uh, gentlemen's apparel, suits, ties, shirts, et cetera. But we have a very strong uh, line of accessories, women's clothing, children's clothing, and uh, everything basically that you might need if you were looking to dress yourself for a special occasion or even for a nice stroll on the beach. And that includes not just um, e-commerce, but also, you know, many uh, physical occasions. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, we're in most major countries around the world. We have brick and mortar stores, a very strong e-commerce business. We have business to business. We have a uniform business. And uh, we're, we're also a manufacturer of our own product. So this is perhaps the piece that a lot of uh, individuals don't recognize is that Brooks Brothers manufactures uh, suits in Massachusetts, ties in New York State, uh, shirts in North Carolina, and uh, jewelry products also in New York. Wow. So, you know, you've been at Brooks since, what is it, 2014? That's right, yes. And uh, how, did, how, do you, how do you make it to Brooks Brothers? Uh, what, why don't you speak, can you speak a little bit about your background and maybe how you got into the industry of where you're currently working? Sure. So I came over to the United States from England in 1995, and my background isn't in technology at all. I studied as a, as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, I, I came over here for holiday. My wife uh, now is, is an American citizen, so that's why I'm still here. And I've I done an awful lot of different things uh, over the last what, 25 years almost uh, in this country. Mostly they've been focused on trying to help people get more out of their technology investment. So I've worked in banking, healthcare, uh, manufacturing, and uh, retail uh, has been where I've been focused for the last uh, almost 11 years now. Before Brooks Brothers, I was with a company called Collective Brands. They uh, no longer exist, but they were a, a parent company for a number of famous uh, footwear brands, including Sperry Ked, Saucony, Stride Right, uh, and also the Payless Shoe Source uh, House mm -hmm. of Brands and Airwalk. And you know, it was a very large uh, global uh, business, uh, four and a half thousand or so retail stores, and, and all of that complexity that comes from being a large publicly traded company. And, and through that uh, that that journey, and, you know, ending up leading their uh, security organization at the end, 
um, I met a number of people that also uh, later in their careers moved over to Brooks Brothers. And through um, through those connections is how I ended up joining the, the team here at Brooks Brothers. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's a fascinating uh, journey to be on because I joined Brooks Brothers at the same time we made the decision to enter into uh, a cloud-first strategy for uh, net new capabilities, but also for mm-hmm. some of our most important production systems, SAP being one of them. Right. And, you know, that's actually a great segue into my next question, which is really asking how how have you seen, you know, you, you've been in infrastructure since you started at Brooks. How have you seen the organization change uh, when it comes to cloud uh, from 2014 to now 2019? You know, what was what, what did it look like in the beginning? And was there a learning curve? Were there roadblocks? Um, how have things changed? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, we were like most organizations with a, uh, a centralized data center with smaller uh, satellite data centers spread into local geographies where bandwidth was potentially a, a, a reason to do that. And the applications either ran centrally um, or were uh, presented through things like a Citrix environment to overcome latency. Lots of complexity on the network side, MPLS links and you know packet uh, shaping devices to you know, solve all of the problems that people experienced in in legacy infrastructure, uh, latency, uh, accessibility, security concerns, and so we made the decision to embrace the cloud, not so much because we didn't want to um, continue to invest in our own data centers because we have made a lot lots of it of improvements on the back end, but because we wanted to have access to different ways of solving some of the business problems that we, we faced, particularly in terms of you know accessibility to resources and capabilities on a global basis that may have worked very well in uh, individualized regions, but as you try to harmonize the technology stack, and, and again, we were focused initially on, on our SAP environment, is we're trying to make that a single environment across all regions. Having it uh, physically located in one data center in the U.S. wasn't necessarily uh, the right strategy. We also wanted to be in a position where we could really uh, measure and manage the cost basis for individual lines of, of, of application service. That's something very hard to do in um, your, your own data center, right? You buy capacity and you okay. use it to you run out. And accounting for how much a technology is costing is not always easy. Similarly, if you want to... Um, expand or change your uh, compute needs for a very short period of time. That was something that we were really struggling with with our um, internal only uh, method of running compute. So these were some of the drivers that that pushed us initially into making a decision to invest in a a cloud-based strategy. But, But I think initially we were thinking of it more in terms of okay, this is a different way to uh, procure infrastructure services, compute, so to speak. Uh, Not really that different than if we went out and purchased um, capacity at another data center, 
or you know co-located uh, capacity. And as we've moved over now almost five years, we, we see that the um, technology stack out at all of the cloud providers has expanded so that it's no longer just a matter of, of compute and basic network services. It's that in, entire portfolio of, of capabilities for building and running business solutions on. The, the, the downside to that, of course, though, is increased complexity, um, increased costs, and um, not, not always is the, the cloud the right um, place to host a particular workload. So we've made some very um, careful decisions now about how to leverage the features and functionality you need in the most optimum place for running the, the business function. Right. And, you know, that, that you see this a lot in enterprise environments where people start out with uh, some of that lift and shift mentality and then sort of discover some of the additional benefits and additional use cases that were just not possible with a uh, typical data center. But, you know, what what are some of the key use cases that you're supporting, whether it is more on the, you know, uh, just a different type of hosting or more on the uh, cloud services angle? Um, I know you talk a lot about uh, SAP HANA, um, you know, through AWS channels as well as in other places. But what, what are some of the other use cases that you're um, supporting right now or looking to support in the future? Yeah, so one of the places we've been really focused on is the the sort of the customer experience, the customer journey. Mm -hmm. And so some of these things we do directly ourselves by you know, creating services that are then um, consumable by applications that might run within the e-commerce environment or in a brick and mortar store. And, and others are um, run by partners of ours who um, leverage the capacity and uh, infrastructure that we have in our Amazon uh, workspaces environment to, to deliver additional services to us. So um, let, let's talk about one, um, one component in particular. It, it, it's how we can track the, uh, the, the points eligibility that people have for um, our loyalty program. And th this solution set is built entirely uh, out in the AWS cloud. And it's accessible um, entirely through APIs to a number of applications that sit uh, internally because you think you want that same experience, right? Whether you're going to the e-commerce the e environment which is uh, you know, uh, uh, also a hosted environment, uh, or if you're calling into uh, the customer contact center, or if you're in a brick and mortar store. And so delivering these through a services-based approach and not, uh, not delivering them through like direct access to a, a database platform, which was how it was done in the past, that, that's really opening up um, new ways of um, you know, connecting the customer to, to things they're eligible for. We, we've also been um, making extensive investments in the technology that supports our uniform business. And we've built a, a couple of uh, capabilities out uh, directly in, in the cloud using only um, cloud-based services like Lambda, CloudFront, uh, Amazon RDS. But 
I, I think perhaps the sort of most interesting part about what we've been doing is, is how we're trying to join our environment out to other uh, service providers that we use that are also um, in, a, in a cloud-based ecosystem. And th this is a combination of you know, traditional integration using capabilities from companies like uh, you know, Dell Boomi, uh, direct integrations through, say, Amazon's API gateway, but also at the, at the network layer. Uh, we have done a lot of things initially through VPC peering, uh, using uh, elastic load balancers to connect uh, services on one VPC uh, that maybe Brooks Brothers is the, uh, the the responsible entity to similar services in somebody else's VPC where maybe we're paying uh, for for a service. But recently we've been playing around a lot with the, the transit gateway and uh, leveraging capabilities from a company called Aviatrix to um, basically create that virtual, truly virtualized network layer for services to communicate between different uh, different locations, different network segments. Right, right. And what, you know, that's, so is that, that's a picture of where Brooks is at now. Um, what would you say is, you know, most interesting to you on a, you know, two to five year, let's say, time frame, as far as higher up the stack building on the cloud? Is there, are there, are there things in the works that are a little further out or are you still in that process of discovery? Well, I think we, we all see there's a lot of opportunity in terms of the uh, capacity to build services that execute only on demand. So our, our investments to date have been for things that we know that we need to run uh, largely for, for operations perspective, right? So they're there uh, 7 by 24, they're needed uh, at roughly the same capacity because of our global uh, geography um, at, at all times. But a as we look to automate and instrument better the um, application capabilities moving towards more microservices versus monolithic applications, I think that that's where the, the exciting part of the future uh, comes into play because it, it enables you to sort of separate out the, um, the some of the concerns that you would have had with with more legacy application design, things like disaster recovery, security, um, capacity management, all of these things you can um, build your capabilities and instrument on the fly. So that that I see is where our investments in in the cloud technology will come over the next two to three years is really sort of um, as, as we make meaningful decisions about what our next gen application stack will look like is how do we either buy or build natively um, using cloud services, but more importantly, how do we build only for sort of minimum capacity needs and allow the technology to auto size. And, and while that makes it a little harder from a, a budget and cost management perspective, right, because you won't have that same level of consistency, over time it should be a lot more cost effective. Right. 
and y- your role also as um, a chief information security officer is how how has that changed in the past? I, I believe you you uh, were um, promoted that role is, was it twenty seventeen? So um, how how has that changed with you know this added emphasis on the cloud? Obviously, um, there's a lot of different things as far as cyber goes or cybersecurity goes in a cloud uh, framework versus um, something that's more on prem. How 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 has that changed? Yeah, so I mean, cl- the the cloud and the the expansion of software as a service has really changed everything for all of us that are cybersecurity practitioners. We we used to be able to focus on protecting an edge of some kind, and uh, focusing on protecting devices and network transport layers, uh, and we can't do that anymore, right? There there is no visible perimeter. The, uh, the device, as likely as not, will uh, be something that is unmanaged or unmanageable uh, at a corporate layer. And so your, your primary focus now has to be on the data elements themselves, on um, se- securing mostly through encryption um, and tracing access largely through uh, some level of, of audit capabilities and and putting all of this information about you know who had access who did access the systems uh, what did they do with that access to you know crunch with as many machine learning and potentially AI algorithms as you can to identify patterns of behavior that are no longer uh, in indicative of somebody using the, the systems and technologies in a way that aligns with the, the risk posture that you can you can accept. And, and so while the cloud gives us great opportunity to um, you know uh, open up uh, markets, open up uh, access to solutions, it has made it so much harder to um, defend against uh, attacks. I mean, you, you see almost every week, right, that there's um, uh, somebody who has yep. some data set out there that they didn't recognize that they had with, with incorrect permissions. You have a lot of credential uh, theft in um, you know, weaker uh, websites that people use uh, on a daily basis that then uh, enable people to have great troves of uh, user IDs and passwords to do credential stuffing. And, you know, we, 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 we try to stay one step ahead, but almost always, I think, as, as a cybersecurity industry, we're one step behind because um, we, we work in the field of, of observable and uh, risk managed and expenditure managed uh, decision making, whereas the, uh, the the attacker works in the way of a gambler. It's it's um, uh, not opportunistic because it's very deliberate, but um, they know that not every uh, activity they do will uh, yield a return for them. Whereas in the corporate environment, we have to make all of our uh, decisions deliberate and validated. And within the context of each of the major uh, public cloud providers and the SaaS providers, they um, they, they don't do as good of a job as I think they, they could around um, providing the level of instrumentation at the security level. 
uh, in a way that is is consumable without spending a, a great deal of extra money to you know sort of ingest it, whether it's into like an elastic stack or um, a, a cloud sim like a Sumo Logic. And if they could uh, come up with ways to uh, better protect not only their sort of outer shell of infrastructure, but also to give capabilities for uh, protecting and analyzing the usage within the environments, uh, we'd all be better served. But until that time, right, I mean, the get hundreds and hundreds of new security vendors, it seems, on the marketplace every uh, year. And each one of those offers um, many little point solutions to problems that every um, uh, industry practitioner faces. And it, it is almost, um, it's almost too much to be truly effective. And uh, the, the, the cloud in and of itself isn't really an entity to protect, it's a, an entity to observe. And it, through that observation, uh, try to make sure that you're protecting the underlying data structures um, and you know, responding as quickly as possible when there's something that is uh, looking amiss. Yeah, it, you know, it seems like it's every other day that there is a another public S3 bucket or something along those lines that gets breached. And, you know, you have to wonder how something like that keeps happening. Um, so would you would you say that security is um, one of the biggest, uh, maybe not roadblocks, but um, one of those in the, in the process of transforming the business from a purely uh, on-premise data center business to uh, something that leverages cloud services, would you say that's the biggest struggle in that in that process, or ha have there been other things? You know, more on the, you know, people and processes side, whether it's hiring, whether it's uh, trying to get engineers to uh, understand and use this new concept uh, in a way that's effective and cost effective. Um, what what would you say is the the toughest thing that you've encountered in your time with Brooks uh, along those lines? Yeah, I mean, security is definitely important, but it is probably not the hardest because it is purely uh, a technical exercise to uh, overcome. It, it is that um, uh, the, the, the human change management that is the hardest because um, we're all accustomed to performing our jobs in ways that um, reflect what we've uh, you know, had as previous accomplishments. And those may have come through you know, building out an application that sits in an on-premises data center that accesses um, other resources in those data centers using the advantage of proximity, um, you know, very high-speed networks. And you can't just sort of pick part of that up and move it out to the cloud without there being some level of re-engineering. And so from a from an apps perspective and also from a sysengineer perspective, sort of understanding the why, uh, why would I cause disruption to an existing business uh, process or business application um, and move away from something that, that seems to be working just fine? And it it, it cannot just be a, a cost-based decision for many companies, right? I mean, if, if you have leased a data center space 
oh, you're on a colo contract. Uh, it can be quite easy to make the argument, well, I'm going to spend, you know, $5 million on my uh, public cloud infrastructure versus the 7 or $8 million I might have been spending on premises. Very easy financial argument. But not everybody's business case is so clear. And what you may be looking at is building out uh, capabilities that uh, the ROI may be further out into the future. You're, you're building a platform for uh, digital disruption, digital transformation. And when you're doing that, bringing those individuals along with you on that journey requires um, more finesse, I think, than uh, when you have a, a, a giant um, ROI with a very short uh, time frame against it. So to sort of overcome that, right, as, as much as possible, you want to give people the freedom to explore the capabilities and you want to make sure they understand that um, th this isn't something that uh, people haven't done before. And it isn't something where um, you, you're expected to sort of uh, fumble your way around the, the cloud pro providers um, all have tremendous amount of resources to help um, with uh, cloud migrations, um, as well as building you know, native new capabilities. I do think that companies that are starting now on this journey are in a much better position than we were you know, almost five years ago, because that uh, body of knowledge is far more robust. We've had a set of uh, graduates who have grown up now um, working with cloud technology through uh, at least part of their university career. And so when you're looking for new engineering talent, there's almost an expectation that you will have uh, some kind of cloud-based capability. We also, you know, we're not a a shop that's hiring hundreds of engineers a year, right? We're, we're not uh, uh, trying to compete uh, as a cloud provider ourselves or a cloud native uh, application stack. So what we're looking for are people with uh, a great business acumen who can understand um, the, the, the opportunities that arise when you're looking at hosting and running services, native services versus um, you know, think, thinking about things in terms of servers and, and platforms. Right. That's awesome. So a little more, a little more wide, wide question. And I, I always like to end my podcast with this question. Um, what, what's something you're most excited about personally um, in technology? And it doesn't have to be specific to your particular industry or even to the cloud. I'm, I'm, I'm really just interested in hearing um, what, you know, particular technologies that are coming down the line that you think may be transformative to your industry or broader, um, you know, any, anything that's sort of in that vein. So I'm most interested in anything that helps people tell their stories better, um, helping right. people form connections with one another in ways that are um, less complicated than they have been in previous uh, years, previous generations. As you know, somebody who 
um, early on in uh, my, my college life, I spent a lot of time with Internet Relay Chat, which was one of the, the earliest forms of um, uh, same-time communication that uh, worked across all geographies. And, and, and through that experience of, you know, I hosted the, an IRC server for the UK, through, through that experience, I saw the power that technology had for, for enabling people to communicate with each other in ways that uh, they couldn't do before. I remember when we uh, first created the ability to transfer files and people could start exchanging pictures over that platform. So as I think about the, the future, um, the, the most exciting thing is for people to be able to have ownership of their own data and to be able to share that in ways that uh, they choose and to revoke that uh, access whenever they choose and to be able to do that in a in a cross-platform uh, manner. So I think, you know, we're, we're on the cusp of of privacy becoming something that is is truly by design into the technology and that people will be able to uh, monetize the value of their own information. You know, we see this in, in the retail space, right? We, we talk about loyalty platforms where we reward you for um, you know, re repeatedly purchasing products. But that, that loyalty is part of an information sharing exercise, right? The, the individual um, through uh, buying from from any uh, one or group of, of, of retailers is, is, is sharing preferences, likes with that retailer. And they're doing it in a way that is, um, you, you know, through some established uh, consent uh, basis. But so much of the other information that people share, there, there is no real informed consent and no traceability of where your data ends up over time. So as we look to the, the capabilities of, say, blockchain technology, to be able to selectively maintain a profile um, that can be sort of you know, checked in or checked out of any services platform you want to use, whether it's a social media uh, or perhaps a, a financial or banking sector or even uh, healthcare, right? To, to me, that's the most exciting thing that can come uh, in the next five to 10 years is that true ownership of your own information and then being rewarded for sharing that information um, in ways that uh, benefit you and the the, the recipient of that information, but it's a it's a tough slog, right? I mean, it's yeah. these things don't happen overnight, and the the, the free uh, free use of of information that has happened over the last three to seven years um, has to come to an end um, at some point and be replaced with you know uh, information sharing 3.0. Absolutely. Well, you know, I can't think of a better way to end, and that was uh, fantastic. All right. Thanks, Alex. It's been my pleasure, and uh, best of uh, wishes for the rest of the month. Likewise. Likewise.